You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or a battery for your trail camera or a specialized battery for your range finder or a crazy toy that you bought for your kids, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. Stop into a local Interstate Battery retail store, talk with a specialist, get the battery that you need, and go on about your day. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman podcast and today we talk about bands, bird bands, sort of in contrast to banded or, or tagged large game, big game, right? A, a, a collared deer or a deer with an ear tag or something like that or bears or, or things like that and you know why is one generally considered or accepted to be cool and and people collect them and the other one is sort of uh tainted or or maybe less sought after so we kind of get into that our thoughts on it um and some of the other sort of controversy if you will around bird bands with people calling and reporting them or not calling and reporting them and and maybe some of the reasoning behind that so that's what we talk about today before we get into that though i need to talk about our sponsor mastin's deer sense so mastin's is a deer scent company and they've they've been a sponsor of this show for a while now and they make a really good deer scent product so not only do they have liquid scent but they have deer scented candles which you use those in their double scent stacker if you're not familiar with that it it allows you to layer scents if you will you use the deer scented candle and then you can put liquid scent in a tray on top it's a it's a lightweight little aluminum cylinder that you can throw in your pack and uh take with you out there they've got of course the liquid scents they've got scented gel crystals so lots of different things and not just your standard doe estrus they've got a, a cover scent that they call smell like a deer they've got uh one that they call buck reaper so a lot of interesting scents with you know some some combination scents so it's it's like the buck reaper for example uses scents from a couple different glands on a deer and is combined to make one scent so a lot of cool stuff and like I said, good product, good prices, good people. So check them out, mastinsdeersense.com or go to ohiohuntsman.com slash sponsors 
and you can find all of our sponsor information there. Now, let's get into the topic for this week. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right, so we're going to talk about banding today. We've, we've done an episode in the past on banding with uh, actually with the ODNR, but today we're going to kind of dig into, I don't want to say the other side, but like sort of where uh, where our feelings, or maybe not our feelings, but, but where people's feelings on bands come from. Some bands, you know, in the hunting world are considered cool, you know, you know, we're thinking duck bands and things. Some bands are, you know, maybe a little off-putting, so that's kind of where we're, what we're going to talk about today. So, Jeff, you kind of brought this one up. You kind of, I mean, I kind of teased it there a little bit, but you kind of want to kick this one off for us? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm looking to get in the waterfowl hunting this year and kind of one of the, the things that intrigued me the most about waterfowl hunting was the whole banding process that, you know, how much of a role hunters play in the conservation of the, the species. You know, it they're with the whole banding process, they're really contributing a lot to the, the science of migration and us understanding, you know, how migrations are working and how populations are surviving and things like that. So that was one of the things that really intrigued me about waterfowl hunting. And I recently discovered that it's a thing to not report your bands. Like, there are people who refuse to report their bands for, and you're talking waterfowl bands yeah they're waterfowl bands migratory bird bands but yeah they refuse to report them like they they think it's kind of cool not to report them and do you get a sense of why like just well i guess like a let's... sticking it to the man thing or yeah i mean i guess i don't know jeff do you I mean, you're just getting into it, but maybe go through the process of reporting. Like, what does that look like? Do you, I've never reported a band. So like, you don't have to forfeit the band or anything, do you? Like, I know people would collect something like that, but. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a thing to collect them. And up until I want to say the nineties, you had to physically like write a letter reporting your band you know, write a letter and mail it in. So I think that was called, you know, part of culturally why some people don't, you know, still don't report their bands. You know, in the nineties, they created a hotline that you just called to report your band. But I think a lot of people up until then didn't report them because, you know, it's a 
fraud, you know, it's uh, time consuming on their part and they don't want to deal with it. Uh, and now I think that the hotline is closed and you have to uh, go online to report your ban. So that could also be, you know, for, for some people who, you know, older people who aren't tech savvy, they might not be reporting anymore because they got to go online to report. But the main reason that a lot of people don't report their bands is, yeah, they they don't want Big Brother knowing what's going on um, because the reporting of bands has and does change bag limits. You know, they determine that, oh, hey, maybe we need to move this season because we thought that you were only at this time only shooting our resident bird population, you know, our resident geese. And it turns out that there's actually migrating geese coming through at that time. So we need to change the bag limit or, you know, things like that. Um, so they, they don't want, the ODNR, or well, not the ODNR in this case, but because this is a national thing, but they don't want the game agencies to to really know to have that data to potentially change, you know, take away hunting from them. Um, so which, they don't want the game agencies to have the data to do their job effectively to better sustain the population. Right. Exactly. So it's it's definitely kind of silly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely kind of silly. Or they just don't want, you know, Big Brother to know where I'm hunting. Like, I mean, I don't think they ask. Well, actually, I know that they don't ask for your specific coordinates, like, you know, exactly where you're at. They ask for, like, the nearest town. That's all they're asking for. Because um, that's what I was going to ask. It's like, you know, are people worried about like giving up their hunting spot because they've got to you know tell where exactly they they got this band or they you know they shot this bird that had this band but yeah i mean potentially they could be worried about giving up their hunting area like oh hey a bunch of bands get shot right here and you know so i should go hunt there too you know, because okay. I want I want bands. Um, another thing in the same aspect is I think a lot of people don't report their bands because they don't want like if the game agency's banding really close to where they're shooting them. You know, I, I have property that's only 200 yards from where they're they're banding at. Well, all those birds come over to me and I shoot them all. I don't want the game agency to know that, hey, uh, those birds only made it this far and then I shot them, you know, because the, the people want to still collect the bands. You know, they they like being in an area oh, with a high right. band density. So they, you know, and also it's just not as interesting, you know, if, if you 
if you know, like, oh, hey, this was banded just right over there, what do I care about finding out? You know, I know where it was banded. So it's not interesting to me to report this. Yeah, because that's one of the draws, too, right? Is when you report it, you get some information from that band, where the bird was banded and that kind of thing. Right, where it was banded, it's agent banding. Um, And then they, you know, they give you like a certificate of appreciation for reporting your band. Okay. So I guess is that public information? Can you look up all the bands that are harvested every year and where they're harvested? Like, you know what I mean? Where do you access that? Like if people are worried about giving up their location, so to speak. Or, yeah. You know, like I, a lot of bands are shot here on this lake or whatever. Like, is that, how do you even, can you get that information? Can you look up and see where bands, how many bands are killed and what bands and how old the birds were? Like, is that all public listed somewhere? I don't think it's readily accessible, but I think you can make an information request to the okay. bird banding laboratory to get information or even make a request to because the bird banding laboratory is going to send a report to your state game agency you can make a request to your state game agency for those reports right okay so i i don't believe it's readily accessible i have never seen anything like that you know i've seen like articles written where like you know kind of shows roughly like oh birds banded in ohio were harvested and then like it shows a map you know right. with dots on it but i've i've never seen anything where it's like you know we banded this many birds at this location and they were shot at this location and you know i can narrow right down into the town it was shot in it's like you know just a dot on a map that you know could be anywhere within a 50 mile radius right you know so i don't i don't think it's a real justifiable fear like not one to give up your spot but i mean i i think you could get that information if you went looking for it and did the legwork I, yeah, I mean, I, I could see, I, I think if your motivation is to not report them because you don't want the game agencies to have the data to, to make sound management decisions, I, you know, I can't get on, I can't get on that logic train. I, it just seems vast backwards to me, but you know, if you're worried about giving up your hunting spots, you know, I can see, right, people are real protective of that stuff. But, I don't know, it just, especially, yeah. I, I mean, for me, being, you know, you know, growing up in technology, you know, like getting online, you know, being easy enough where I just got to go online and report it real quick, like, why not? Yeah. Another thing that I think uh, potentially they kind of shot themselves in the foot with was reward bans. Um, you know, they some states I think still do. They still offer a reward for reporting the band. 
okay. you know, cash reward. And I've seen people say, like, well, if they want the data that bad, like, they need to make a reward band. You know, I I want the five bucks, the ten bucks, the fifty bucks, whatever. You know, you want they, the data, you got to give me something. Were they really paying, or were some people really paying fifty bucks for a band? Uh, yeah, I think I I've seen hundred dollar bands you know like people have on like their lanyard like online hundred dollar bands i don't know how long ago that those were taking place or what kind of birds or what states were doing that um i don't think ohio ever offered any reward bands but yeah that's wild and i i think a lot of it a lot of the reasons for reward bands was, I mean, one, they really wanted to see where, you know, they really wanted that specific data, but also they wanted to see like, do reward bands increase reporting, you know, what, and how much do we have to pay to get, you know, to increase the reporting to the appropriate level? Right, you know, or the level little, we want it. It was a little study in economics. Right, right. But I can definitely see how that sets a precedent. Right? right. If you if you were used to getting paid for band reporting, and then they take it away, it was like, well, forget it. You know, I'm not going to give right. it to you for free. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. Well, and it, like Jeff said, it's kind of one of those if you put the idea that you can get paid for that information and now you're not going to pay me for it, I'll just withhold it until you want to pay and then I'll give it to you because there's that option. You know, at some point you paid for this. So, right. That's an option somewhere in there, you know, back in your archives that's allowed. So I'm not giving it up until you bring that back. Yeah. 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 And it, they probably never will or may never will, but it's, I could see that definitely playing a, a role yeah because i've also heard about people who uh shoot waterfowl that have gps trackers on them and you know which is for even more precise study of you know where that bird's going yeah and those people saying like okay i shot your bird with this gps tracker on it what do i get like why should I give you it back? Right. You know, like you, it's, it's nice of you to have done this, but you want your equipment back. It was on my bird. You know, what do I get out of this? Yeah. That gets into a weird, right. Cause there's, there's definitely money there involved right. in, you know, some of these GPS collars and things and, you know, whether it's grant money that was spent on that or, you know, however it was funded, there was money spent on those and they can be reused and, right. you know, and I'm sure they want those back. And Yeah. And I, I'm, I would think legally it's probably still their property, but, you know, who's going to have the police show up at my door to get 
the GPS collar back or whatever, the GPS. Yeah. You know, like, but yeah, I've, I've seen those stories too. Or yeah, people who, uh, shoot waterfowl or other animals with collars, you know, legally shoot them with collars. And it's like, oh, well, snip that off, leave it here. And I'm taking my animal. I don't, you know, I don't care about that. Well, with the GPS, because I have heard of that, like, you know, where people will, they'll go get their collars out, you know, because they can go find them, right? They're, it's a mm-hmm. GPS. They can walk right up to it. So if anything, you know, I would be, I think it would actually be kind of foolish to just keep it at your house, right? Because for right. all you know, the thing's still transmitting. And they've got a beacon now at your house, and they know right, you they have know, their collar. They know, they know exactly where it's at, yeah. Right. If you're looking for deer feed this fall to either attract deer to your hunting stand or just get them in front of your camera to take inventory, see what's in the area, I encourage you to check out Monster Whitetail Grub. They're a sponsor of this show, and they make a really good product. They've got their signature Monster Whitetail Grub bead, which is a high-protein feed. It's got mineral mixed in. It's, it's kind of a coarse feed, so it, it slows the deer down. They don't eat it quite as fast as, as, say, just plain corn. They've got flavored corn. You know, everybody knows deer like corn, but they kind of step it up a notch and turn it into a long-range attractant with some of their flavorings, and they've got a bunch of different flavoring options that you can add to that, and then just straight powdered mineral. So whatever you need, they have it. And they're getting into more and more retail locations, so you might want to check at a uh, like an archery pro shop or sporting goods shop near you and see if they have it there. Otherwise, go to ohiohuntsman.com slash sponsors, and you can get in touch with them and get some of their product. And if they don't have it at your local sporting goods store, your, your archery shop, whatever, ask them to get in contact with them and start carrying it. That way you can just pop in and get it whenever you need it and with that let's get back into the episode and kind of the other thing that this gets into with you know why people potentially don't report their their bands is you know some people think shooting a bird with a band is kind of the you know there's nothing to be proud of there you shot the dumb one that was already caught by someone else. Mm. You know, like there's nothing to be proud about shooting a bird with a band. That thing was stupid enough that it let someone else catch it already. Right. You know, and that, that, that other person had to either trap it or net it or, you know, potentially they were doing it when the bird was molting or when it was, you know, just hatched. But, that bird, you know, let someone actually get their hands physically on it. And all you did was, you know, shoot it at 30 yards with a gun. Right. You know, so it's, that's not a, a trophy of any means, you know, which for me, it's kind of interesting because yeah, shooting a migratory bird with a band is cool. You know, 
but if I went to a state that had tagged or banded, uh, you know, other game species, you know, has a have banded wild turkey or, you know, tagged black bear or elk or whatever. And I think shooting those would be less cool, you know, because there, there is something to be said about like, you know, when you, when you shoot a deer, you're the first one who's ever laid hands on that thing. Yeah. You know, it's never been touched. It's never been soiled by human hands. But, you know, especially like bear and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like, you know, bear that, you know, got in the town and had to be captured by the game agency and then tagged and released back out of town. It's like, that's not all that you know that thing's used to being around humans it's that's not that in you know that's not that uh challenging take some of the wild out of it yeah yeah it's like i i shot someone's pet bear basically (laughs) (laughs) dumpster diving bear yeah yeah and i i can definitely see that And I guess maybe the means by which it was, you know, like the bear scenario, I can see that, right? Like there's a chance that 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 was a nuisance bear and they put a collar on it to, you know, or an ear tag or something to be able to kind of from a distance keep tabs on this bear and make sure it's not, you know, if people are seeing it and calling in and say, hey, you know, I saw this bear. It had tag three, four, five in its ear, you know. Uh, yeah, I could see how that's like that. That bear is, I don't know, tainted, if you will. Unless it's, uh, you know, because then he, then you get into this argument. I would bet it's a tainted bear until it becomes a giant bear. Then I think the taintedness goes yeah. out the window for a lot of people. And like. I, it's just a giant bear. I, you know, I don't care that it has an ear tag. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's, it's just like these city bucks, you know, that you see people shoot that, you know, are really easy to identify. And, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, my, in the city, we have this huge buck and then, someone shoots it you know and everybody online's like oh yeah that's you know they know exactly what what deer that is i think last year the year before some guy shot a city buck and uh it was so recognizable you know enough people had seen this buck in the city that they knew that this guy poached that deer because there's no, there was no land that he legally could have hunted it on, and he got oh, in trouble really? for poaching because they it was so recognizable that yeah they they knew that there was there was no way that he could have legally shot that deer. 
which is really interesting. You know, that's that's when you know, you know, a lot of people are seeing that thing is when without any tag or anything, someone was able to say, yeah, that's, you know, yeah, that's that deer. Yeah, that I mean, that's because uh, and I can't I can't think of the guy's name, but he's got a, a YouTube channel, you know, talking about city bucks where he he runs a business in the Washington DC area basically doing population control hunting in in people's backyards trying to keep the deer numbers down trying to keep them from eating everybody's um landscaping trying to keep the herd at a, at a a healthy level and I think he's allowed to hunt all year round. Like they, he's, I don't know the logistics of it, but I think he hunts all year round. And mm-hmm. I, I think he shoots some decent bucks, but he doesn't, he's not in it for shooting big bucks, right? Like he's any and every deer that walks by that's within, you know, cause you, you get into this scenario of like, you can't wing one out there and hope you, you know, he's cause you're hunting in somebody's backyard and the neighbor might not be real happy about it. Or, you know, he's not going to let you on his property to go get the deer or, you know, so any deer that walks by within, I think I heard him say like he limits himself to shots 20 yards max or something like that. Maybe even under, you know, 15 yards. Like he's, he's looking for those slam dunk shot opportunities because the deer's got to basically go down within sight. And, uh, but yeah, he, it's, uh, you know, on one hand, it seems like shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, he, he'll talk. I've never done it. I have no experience with it. So, you know, take my my opinion with a grain of salt but you know he he talks about like the deer no they've learned they've adapted if you're playing in the backyard they're not worried about you but when you step into the woods all of a sudden they're you know hey easy you know and they're they're gone and they can kind of i would think that human scent would not be as i mean unless of course they come across a scent trail in the woods or something where they almost never encounter like a strong scent, but, but I would think getting away with a little bit of scent, you know, not, not having to be as super cautious with your wind direction because they're just so used to being around human scent. But yeah, like like I said, he's not in it for shooting the big giant city buck. You know, he's running a business. Yeah. It's definitely interesting, you know, uh, the concept of hunting in urban or even suburban areas, you know, where the, the deer are not used to being hunted. You know, it's, it's definitely, I could see, you know, I've never hunted really in urban areas, some suburban, but, uh, you know, I could definitely see how the deer could really catch on quickly and it, it'd be a completely different game than, you know, hunting out in the country, you mm-hmm. know, hunting a cornfield. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
you know, my uh, the other day uh, I'm at work and uh, I'm talking to my boss and there's a window behind him and we're down in the basement and uh, a deer just walks straight up to the window. You know, like all I can see is its legs. You know, I am like, you know, point at it like, you know, holy cow. And he turns around all quick thinking, you know, there's something exciting to see. And it's just a deer stand there. And he's like, what? Like, you're a hunter. You've never seen a deer before. And it's like, well, I've never <laughs> seen a deer walk up to a window and look inside at, you know. <laughs> right. But and then he was well, and you work about, and you work in right. the city. Right. Right. And then he was talking about how much, you know, deer are a pain around there because he only lives like a mile away. And uh, he's talking about how much of a pain they are. And he lives suburban. You know, it's a mixture of woods and houses. And it's like, well, you know, uh, I can take care of that for you. Or, you know, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, Shiver, like, I know a guy, <laughs> you know, and basically what he was saying is like, oh, you know, the city's got to do something about it. But then when I actually went to talk you know when we started talking about it's like oh no no like you know because it's like well this is easy to solve like even if you don't want to see it all the time you know like have an organized hunt in the city you know just one weekend or something and if you don't want to see the deer being slaughtered lee you know go out of town you know, because he was talking about he went out to fill his bird feeder. He filled his bird feeder, walked around his house, like to his garage. And when he got to his garage, there was uh, a doe and two fawns that like met him there, like right at the garage. And he shooed him away. And so then he walked into his house and then thought, you know, I better go check to make sure that those deer just didn't walk around the other side of the house and go to my bird feeder. So he walks back out his door, his garage door, walks around his garage, and sure enough, those deer just looped around the other way and went to that bird feeder and were eating out of it. <laughs> so they, I mean, they were they were coming, the dinner bell was rang. They heard him dump the bird seed in there and were coming oh. to eat it. You know, and it's like, yeah, I... You know, those deer would rather, (laughs) yeah, yeah, those deer would rather starve in the city than have the chance of being hunted, you know, in the suburbs, basically. Because, you know, the things he talks about them eating, it's like, yeah, if, if those deer had food, they wouldn't be eating that at all. You know, just bushes, you know, just chowing down bushes to to nubs and it's like yeah if they if they had food they wouldn't be eating that yeah and i don't know that it i mean it's not like a deer i don't know that a deer knows that oh if i go you know five miles that way there's a bunch of crop fields and you know right right but i i mean i think in general like you know they understand danger and they'd rather be safe you know they they learn it's learned behavior that like hey if i'm here i'm safe 
and if I'm there, I'm not as safe. Yeah. They can at least eke out a living and not yes. have any real pressure from any kind of predation. Yeah. And I kind of go back to the tag thing, you know, because when you, I can imagine hunting out west, like getting a tagged elk or something or a collared elk, right? It's got to take, I, I would assume a lot of guys probably are, you know, take something away from it there, especially because, you know, when you're hunting out west, you could potentially go hunt and shoot an elk or an animal that has never seen a human before. You know, you're or you're the first human to lay eyes on that thing. You know, if you float in on a river or ride in on horseback, you know, you could get deep, deep enough into the the backcountry that you're the first human to ever see it. And then that compared to, oh, well, this this elk was, you know, darted and tagged and taken back out of the city because it was you know terrorizing people on the sidewalk or whatever or yeah you know was getting too friendly with people in the park you know that's a big difference well in the style of hunting right it's a lot of like spot and stalk so it you, you're i would think you're you would be making a much more uh, conscious decision i guess to shoot an animal with a tag like i saw it over there on the other side of this drainage i'm gonna hike over there you know and, and we're gonna go after this thing whereas you know i can very easy envision a scenario here where you know somebody bumps a deer the neighbor bumps a deer it runs under your stand stops for a second oh my gosh there's a deer oh it's it's got antlers bang and then you like, oh, it's got an ear tag or, you know, like you could almost yeah. not even notice, right? Because you're in yeah. there, you're not looking at the ears or the, you know, you're looking at the vitals and. Yeah. And that, that kind of maybe have something to kind of do with the culture of, you know, like small game tags being cool, large game tags, you know, maybe not necessarily being as cool is you know on when you're when you shoot a dove especially like you have no idea if that thing's got a band on it right you know you shoot a a bear or an elk you know that that's got a collar on it like you're a lot of times pretty aware you know yeah. i mean like your scenario it can happen fast and you you don't know but you know, it's a, it's a lot easier to tell. It's not an added bonus. You you typically know before you pull the trigger that this thing, you know, you're making a conscious decision that this thing's collared or tagged or whatever, and I want to shoot it. Yeah. You know, you're not shooting something and then getting the added bonus of, oh, hey, this thing's got a tag on it. You know, which I could see. But, uh... One thing I thought was funny is I heard I've heard Steve Rinella talk about tagged 
uh, shooting tagged or called big game mm-hmm. before. And the way he describes it, he's like, you know, that's not something I'd ever want to do. Because he, he refers to it as, you know, just getting someone else's sloppy seconds. <laughs> and, you know, because he's, he's pretty big on, like, you know, the spirituality of it, if you will. Like, you know, I'm the the first person to lay hands on this animal. And, well, the thing's got a tag or, you know, you you're, you might not even be. You know, you might be five ten in line, you know, because especially like a bear, you know, I don't know with an elk, but I've seen on TV, you know, people darting bears and that requires a crew of people, you know, because they got to typically they trank this thing and then they got to carry it and tag it and. You know, veterinarians got to make sure that it's still breathing and, you know, monitor it. So you're you're not you might not even be close to the first person to lay hands on it. Right. Yeah. I think Jason's um, thought, though, of that matters until it gets really big. <laughs> if it was really big, I don't. Think right. People would yeah. Care. <laughs> yeah until it gets really Absolutely. big and then people will forget about the collar <laughs> yeah oh well but i guess here's the other question so you shoot this giant deer bear whatever that's tagged or collared do you take the tag out you know if you get it mounted or do you leave the tag in it you know because i i feel like that's you're lying basically if you take the tag out you know what i mean you're it's really if you do anything to the animal that it didn't already have you know when you harvested it you're it's you're lying that's you know that's no longer a representation of the animal you shot that's just some random piece of artwork basically so two points here one I would venture to say, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's part of the story. So I would probably leave it on because I think of a mount as a story piece. You know what I mean? You mount an animal because you want to relive the hunt, relive the story, tell people about the story of the hunt or, you know, whatever. It has some meaning to you typically. So I would say probably leave it on, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. That's, point one i guess but point two when you said if you do anything to the animal so and this is kind of a stretch but so say you harvest a deer and then while it's running around crazy or whatever it runs into a tree and breaks its antler so you can't glue that back together well i guess that but i guess from the point that you shot it you know that's in, in this is kind of my ethics. The point that you shot it, that's where you gotta That's the picture. Yeah, that's the picture. Because you know, I've I've heard of, you know, people shooting bucks and muzzle loader. Right, and, and their antlers fall off as they hit fall the ground. Off, yeah. And it's like, well, 
that probably you know you can put those back on or yeah it runs crazy and scratches itself up but i i mean i would go as far to say like if if someone else shot that deer already that buck already you know put a hole through its neck or whatever you know because i'm thinking about a shoulder mount but like it's a non-fatal wound and then it you know comes by you i say that you know that's got to be there. You got to capture that as best as possible. Yeah. I mean, I would agree because like I said, the way I view it is I view it as a story. Right. And that's part of the story. Right. You know, I mean, that's part of the animal you harvest, the history, the story. Part of that deer's story is that it was shot once before and it lived like that's part of it. Yeah, a good example would be uh, you had a deer on camera a few years ago that you had for a few years on camera that you called slit ear because it had a cut in its ear. Yeah. You know, I know people that would have the taxidermists fix that, you know, make that a full ear. You know, and that's no, that's. You know, I've I've heard of a lot of people like having the taxidermist fix blemishes on the animal. And it's like, no, that's that's not right. Like, you know, you you harvested that thing and it looked this way and that's how it should look. Yeah. So I I guess I'm saying is if you. If you do shoot a an animal, big game animal with a ear tag or a collar, I mean the collar they're gonna want back, but you know, maybe you try to get a replica or something because I I think I think you I, I don't wanna say have to, but you know, it should be an unwritten rule that if you shoot one with an ear tag or a collar, you gotta mount it with it. Well, I like away. I said my takeaway from this is before you have any taxidermy done check with Jeff and make sure that whatever you got planned tells the story accurately yeah yeah I mean (laughs) yeah I just I've heard stories you know and it's like that's just that's not right you know yeah it's and I, I get that people have different uh, I don't know ideas of what they want you know some people want that buck on the wall and they want it looking perfect you know like a perfect specimen of you know what that species should look like I guess but for me it's I I want a representation of the deer I shot and I I have one buck mounted and it has uh, super long whiskers. And on it, if, if, if you're close enough to actually see it, it kind of looks goofy, you know, because I've never seen another deer like it. But I'd never dream of like trimming those up, you know, make them look, you know, like more i don't know typical you know it's 
a non-typical thing of the deer. It's character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Well, it's definitely an interesting topic, right? Like these, <laughs> these sort of things that uh, we as people, we as hunters have, you know, like you said, bird bands are cool. Tag, you know, ear tagged deer or bear or something are maybe less cool. They're, you know, they're somehow tainted in a way when in, you know, when you just look at the, the facts, if you will, right, it's the same thing, right? The animal was captured and a tag, you know, human hands were put on it and it had a tag put on it. And, but we've sort of decided that, you know, banded doves or banded ducks or whatever are, are cool. There's something to collect banded, uh, like you said, kind of big game stuff is like, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of lost some of its luster or something. Yeah, yeah. I would think there's there's very few people that would argue that banded birds, you know, migratory birds, are aren't cool, you know. But... I would say that there's at least a 50-50 split with big game animals. Right, yeah. Well, anything else you guys want to touch on on this one? I don't think so. Nothing. No. That that about covers it for me. Okay. Well, this was a good one, and hopefully everybody is uh, getting ready and excited for for fall for seasons to open up where we are close with that we'll shut it off that's it for this week hopefully there was you know something maybe thought-provoking or interesting in there for you i know that was kind of what it was for me just sort of a you know playing around with psychology and and the reason we think some things are cool and and other things maybe not so much and you know it's kind of always a a fun and interesting mental exercise if you will so that's going to be it though for this week hopefully you guys are getting ready for deer season we've got dove season open squirrel season open things are going to be opening up more and more so hopefully you're getting out and enjoying the woods and water this fall and having some success and with that I I just as always want to thank you all for listening thank you for sharing and subscribing that means the most to us we really appreciate that and I also want to thank you all for the questions we've been getting Uh, you guys have been sending us questions on our website which uh, is sometimes a fun and interesting challenge trying to find answers to the questions so keep doing that keep uh you know tagging us in stuff online if if you have a good day out in the woods you know tag us we want to see that stuff so with that i will let you all go and we'll talk to you next week thanks for listening Mm -hmm.